This is the Seahawkers podcast. After day two of the 2020 NFL draft, the Seahawks made two picks. They made a trade and here to talk about it. Actually, they made a couple trades and here to talk about it. Mr. Rob Staten, SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, I know we got together after day one. You're feeling maybe a little anxiety or just uh, not overly happy with the first day. So I have to check in and see how you're doing now after two days of the draft. Well, I think this was a really good day for the Seahawks, but I still think that they've got it, you know, major, major issues. But I think it's it's worth sort of looking independently on this day and and parking the the broader problems that the Seahawks have got for for maybe a little bit, you know, maybe at the end of this podcast or or another day. Because I think the, the things that I like about this draft is uh, this round, this day, and these two rounds is that one, the Seahawks have made some really nice moves in the past when they've shown the conviction to trade up and go after players. That doesn't mean that every player that they trade up for is going to be a raving success. I mean, Cody Barton's a good example of that last year. He, he had a somewhat difficult rookie season. However, when they've gone up and got DK Metcalf or Jaron Reed or Tyler Lockett and, and to see them go, look, we need to go and get this guy and they've shown that conviction, those players have often delivered. Because if they've moved up for somebody, you know it's not like, you know, if you, if you sort of get there and a, a team trades in front of you or the board falls a certain way and you pick somebody, you're never quite sure if they're disappointed that the, how the, the thing went or whatever. When they actually go and move up for somebody, you know full well that they've gone up to get that guy for a reason. And when they went up and, and got Daryl Taylor, you know, my main issue with Daryl Taylor was the injuries. There was, there was so much talk about, you know, whether or not he was physically able to to sort of go through and and make it in the NFL. I mean, he he's not competed at the Senior Bowl. He didn't do anything at the Combine, and that is going to be an issue. You know, whether or not he's going to be physically capable of staying healthy at the next level. But they clearly feel some confidence there. I think I read somewhere that they sneaked in a VMAC visit with him before the the lockdown right. started. <laughs> so they may well have even done some medical checks on him. So they may have a bit, maybe a bit more information than other teams. And for them to go up and get this guy, this is a guy who was being touted as a potential first-round pick before the 2019 season. He has a decent pass rush win percentage in the 18%, kind of 18, 19% kind of range. He is big. You know, he's he, he's he's a Leo type, but he's bigger than that. You know, he's a bigger than a Cliff Averill. He's nearer to Frank Clark in terms of size than an Averill. He's, he's 265 could easily get up to 270 pounds. He's not a big, he doesn't look big for that size. He could easily put on a bit of extra muscle and get up towards a Frank Clark type of range. I don't know, Rob. I've seen video of this guy. He looks like he has a pretty significant amount of muscle already. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's it's quite a lean muscle. If, if you know, he, he, I reckon that <laughs> if, if they wanted him to, and I don't necessarily think that they would want him to, I'm just sort of saying that if he wanted to, he probably could get up to Frank Clark size. So, I think this is a really interesting pick and they needed somebody. They needed some speed and some quickness off the edge. He bends and straightens better than anybody other than perhaps Josh Uche, um, who was also in the same kind of range. And um, I, I just like it. I like the fact they've gone up and done this. Now they've got that speed off the edge. They've got somebody that can come in. He's twitchy. You know, he's not like LJ Collier, who is, he was more of a Michael Bennett type. He's, he's twitchy. So now they've got an option there. They still need somebody else off off the edge, but you know they're going to have to go and sign a veteran, whether that's Clowney or Griffin or anybody else. Right. But they can park any idea of Ngokwe's and and Judens now and people like that 
they've got their guy off the edge and now they've got to develop him and turn him into a real force. Well, I'm kind of glad that you've come around on Daryl Taylor, Rob, because I you know, there was a few weeks back where I distinctly remember coming to you and I felt pretty good about him. And I said, Rob, what about this Daryl Taylor guy out of Tennessee? I, I feel like he fits it for the Seahawks. And you poo-pooed me, Rob. Well, I mean, the, the injuries were the main thing, but I think the other thing you've got to look at, let's just be honest here with him. If you take his best 10 plays from 2019 and put it in a video, you could convince yourself that he was a top 15 talent. Well, and that goes for every single edge player, I feel like, in the first three rounds. Yeah, I th- more so with him, though, because it's it, when you, it's the extremes. Because what you generally have with players like you know Jabari Zaniga, for example, they don't have really bad tape and really good and ten really good plays. They kind of have a general, fairly consistent level of performance. Whereas Taylor, you know, like you watch him against Georgia, for example, it's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, against those two first round offensive tackles, and and you go and watch some games like that, and you barely even notice he's there. And you know, the coach has gone on him a little bit last season and wanted more from him, and I think he is going to have to be pushed. I'm certainly not suggesting for a second that the Seahawks have pulled an absolute rabbit out of the hat here and have, have drafted someone who's going to be a contender for defensive rookie of the year or he's going to immediately be a 10-sack guy. He's not. He's going to take some developing. He's got to learn some pass rush moves. I mean, he does not have a repertoire. And he's kind of the guy, I think, sort of as a rookie, maybe even in year two, you're going to be expecting him to come in and provide a bit of a spark on certain downs. He's not, I would be very surprised if he was a starter in, in year one. But what he has got is the kind of athletic profile and the frame and the ability to bend and straighten that they really, really need in the quickness. And I'm glad that just to see them go and talk, and if they had targeted Julian Aquaro, if they had targeted Josh Uche or Jabari Zaniga and, and made the same kind of move, I'd be saying the same thing. You know, it's it, I just wanted to see some investment in that position, in that pass rush position. And, you know, they're not settled. They've actually gone and got somebody. And I think that's a positive. Yes. And as you mentioned, Daryl Taylor, just the fourth edge rusher, at least how it's classified by NFL.com for the guys that they have. Clavon Chason was the first guy off the board. Utah Gross Matos and Marlon Davidson with the one pick right ahead of them to the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, and he and he was kind of an interesting pick, too, because he's a bigger dude. Yeah, you know, Marlon Davis, I I prefer Taylor to to those players, to be honest. I mean, I think Yita Gross Matos has got some talent, and I think he's a nice fit in Carolina. I think for the Panthers, it's a really nice fit. But for the Seahawks, I, I, I just didn't feel it. I just didn't really think, you know, they've got Brian Burns on one side, and, and they can develop Gross Matos to be quite a dynamic five-technique type. You know, there's that bigger power end, and then you've got, obviously burns on the other side that that works the Seahawks needed quickness they needed someone with, with some speed off the edge uh Lanzelin's compared him to Junior Gallet you know that's that's not a bad comparison that's kind of what he's going to bring to the table but I bet he's going to take some developing but I just like it you know they needed to do something on the pass rush this offseason and I like the fact they've gone after him as I mentioned before he, he went into the season with a lot of first round talk the Seahawks do scout like a year in advance, you know, they, they have ideas on players going into this season. I don't think their grades change that much if the player just continues to perform at the level that they are expecting. And it wouldn't surprise me, uh, Brandon, if if actually, you know, um, if they traded down to 30, it's been suggested tonight that if they'd have traded down with the Packers to 30, that the Ravens actually would have taken Jordan Brooks at 28 rather than Patrick Queen. Right. Now, whether that's ac- accurate or not, I mean, that could well have come from a, 
very favourable source by the name of a Mr. John Snyder uh, <laughs> to the Seattle media, who are report. I think it's the Seattle Times who are reporting this, and who knows? And it's it's a great way to sort of, you know, it was the same with Bruce Irvin. The Bruce Irvin pick created a lot of discussion. And oh then yeah, it was we like, heard ah. how the Jets. Oh, they wanted Bruce Irvin, and he called John Snyder after the draft and said, "Oh yeah, we would have taken him if you hadn't." Exactly. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if John's just just sent a nice little text there to Bob Condo to say, <laughs> just so, just so you know, the Ravens were going to take him at twenty eight. You know. Uh, and it just sort of reassures a few people because, look, the, you know, it, these GMs and coaches and scouts, when people are criticizing it and challenging their decisions, they're only human. You know, they want to defend themselves as much as anybody else would, or they want to justify their decisions in the way. They don't just sit there and smugly go, well, we know better than you. No, if they're getting criticism or people are questioning the pig, then they're going to fight back a little bit as well. So sure. it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's come from Seattle. But if they'd have traded down to 30, it actually probably wouldn't have been that surprising if, if maybe they took Daryl Taylor there. If they'd have got a high second round grade on Daryl Taylor, they may well have taken him at 30. So to get Brooks, who they clearly liked a lot, and then to get Taylor at, what was it, 49 or something in the end, you know, I, I like that. I like the fact that they've shown some conviction there, and hopefully he's going to be as much of a success as Jaron Reed and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, and there was a lot more buzz about Taylor being potentially a guy who could move into the first round and, and kind of squeak in there. Ultimately, they get him in the second. And I, I know what you're saying, too, about him being uh, not a starter right away because he does seem to have a deficiency in terms of stopping the run. He's, he's probably more the guy to come in on third down, especially on passing downs in his rookie year, and see if he can have an impact there. So let's move on, Rob, because Damian Lewis the guard out of LSU. This is a guy that you talked to, you interviewed him, and uh, you have it up on YouTube leading up to the draft. And I know that Lewis was a guy that you really liked. Now, in terms of a guard, the Seahawks have been, they've been trying to find guards this offseason. And so do you think with Lewis, they actually have a guy who can stick with the team long-term versus a lot of these guys who are one-year, two-year type options? Yeah, I, I, you know, I really, really like this pick. Really like this pick. You know, and to sort of fill people in a little bit here, I, you know, I, I contacted an awful lot of players about potential interviews. And, you know, Damian Lewis's response was the most courteous and polite response um, in agreeing to do an interview of, of all the players that I, I contacted. And then when I interviewed him, and I, I'd kind of done a bit of homework, and as you do, um, to try and learn a little bit about him going into that piece. And, um, I just absolutely loved his passion, his energy, the polite way that he spoke. He's clearly gone through an awful lot. He's got that grit factor that the Seahawks really like. And I, I have to say, I really, really like Damian Lewis. I, you know, when I did my horizontal board, it was partly sort of my opinions, and it was a part of a Seahawks projection, and it was also part of where I think certain players are going to go. Now, for me, I had AJ Epinesa in round two. I don't like AJ Epinesa. You know, I, I was—I would not have drafted. I think we've talked about this. Yeah. I would not have taken Epinesa in the top fifteen. I think he went fifty-three or fifty-four in the end, anyway. But I wouldn't have drafted him. And I had players on the horizontal board that I wouldn't have drafted. You know, I, I don't think I'd have drafted Terrell Lewis either, who went in the late third round. Right. Damian Lewis for me was a top fifty player in this class. You know, a top fifty prospect. When you watch the tape, he is so physical. He, for me, was LSU's best defensive lineman and a really good group that got, they have a college football award for the best defensive line. They won it. So good. Right. Damian Lewis, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, Sadiq Charles, right? 
Yeah, and then you you know you watch Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So often he would run behind Damian Lewis, and then he got to the senior bowl. And I, I remember watching the game as in particular, and watching Lloyd Cushenby. Actually, I was I was focusing on him in this in this one play, and they scored a touchdown. And um, I thought, oh, Cushenby did a good job there because it was kind of I can't remember exactly what the play was now, but it involved on being on the move a little bit and getting to the second level. And then as I was watching the replay, I thought, who's that? Because there was this one other lineman who was next to me who was like five yards further upfield and was sprinting downfield and absolutely leveled somebody at the second level. And I know it's the same helmet. I thought, is that Cushenbury? And I thought, that's not Cushenbury. It was Damien Lewis. And I just thought, wow, what a play. Went back and watched the, the 1v1s. He was brilliant. And then when I went back to review the 1v1s about three, four weeks, oh God, every week just seems to have blended into each other with this lockdown. <laughs> but I, I guess it was about three or four weeks ago, but it might have been six. I don't know. I went back and watched it. And the one thing that really stuck out to me was that I think it was the Bengals staff. So they had Jabari Zaniga and Damian Lewis go have three reps against each other for no reason at all. Everyone else was doing one rep. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. And they moved on and the next guy to go. They made Jabari Zuniga and Damian Lewis have three reps. And it was it was a one-all draw for me. And the third rep was a you know a tie. So it was kind of one-all. But I just thought that was great. And I, I, it just, I got the impression that the coaches were thinking, we like these two guys. You know, they, we want to see these two guys square up, not for one rep, for three. And it wasn't, and I, it wasn't the only time where that happened. And I just, I just came away from all of this. And then I interviewed him after I'd watched this. And then, um, and that's why I interviewed him second after Robert Hunt. I, I was kind of disappointed, actually, that they did so much on the offensive line in free agency because I thought there's no way they're going to draft him now. And I'm really pleased that they have. Well, I talked to EJ Snyder, Windy City Gridiron. He he does a lot of what you do for that Chicago Bears SB Nation site, Rob. And the one thing that he pointed out in my talk with him is that Damian Lewis and Lloyd Cushenberry were both on the board at the same time. Cushenberry has the ability to play guard too. And and he liked Cushenberry just a little bit more when it especially when it comes to pass protection. Yeah, but Damian Lewis kicks people's ass. You know? <laughs> this I, I like Cushenberry. The difference between Cushenberry and Lewis for me is Cushenberry fits more in the Ethan Posick mold of offensive lineman in that he stalls people, he hangs on long enough to get the job done. He's technically adept, he's intelligent and smart, but he ain't explosive and he isn't violent and he ain't powerful. Whereas Damian Lewis is going to go out there and beat the crap out of you. And I'll take Damian Lewis because I want people who are going to beat the crap out of you on the offensive line. So for me, give me Lewis any day of the week. I mean, I like Cushenbury, but he's a violent run blocker. He's a physical tone setter. He's a beast of a man. And uh, I just love everything about Damian Lewis. And, you know, we, we may just touch on this, like I said earlier, about where the Seahawks need, what the Seahawks still need to do and, and, and the moves they need to make beyond this draft as well. But I could not be happier with the pick of Damian Lewis. And if there are people out there who are saying, I don't like this, you know, the, I don't understand what the Seahawks are doing here. They've, they've signed all these offensive linemen and they've gone and got this guy. They've gone and got this guy because he's a damn good player. Yeah. And if you can get a, a top 50 player at 69 or whatever it was, they, they drafted him, go and do it. I think he could be starting straight away. He's that good. And he'll be competing to start straight away at right guard. And if you're DJ Fluker and you're Chance Warmer, you better watch out because this guy's going to be on your tail. <laughs> well, and one of the things I think we should point out, too, is the fact that a guard, I know you you projected 
uh, guys like Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills as guard and Robert Hunt as well. But all those guys played tackle in college. But uh, so for the guards who had played in college, the Seahawks took the top guard available to them. Yeah, the, the top guard. Right. You know, the, the top guard. They had their pick. Every, everybody else was on the board and they picked Damian Lewis. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe, I don't think that they, I, I don't, I've not heard from Pete and John and, and I don't know if they've done anything yet, but I would not be surprised if when, when they do speak, they just say he was too good to pass up. I don't think they went into that with any real intention of, of drafting Damian Lewis. I think they were probably shocked that he was still there um, and thought the value is too good and we're going to take him. And I've, I, I think that was. The, I think they admitted that that was kind of the case with Jordan Brooks. That they they didn't go into it thinking we need a linebacker. It's just that they were there and they thought, rightly or wrongly, they thought we've done a decent enough job in free agency. Um, you can take the best player available on their board, and they did. And they just loved Jordan Brooks. It seems they were completely smitten by his combine interview, mm-hmm. um, and they've they've taken him. And I think that'll probably end up being the case with Damian Lewis. They've signed so many offensive linemen. There's no way that they thought we desperately need another nineteen <laughs> right. another guard, <laughs> especially a guard as well. You know, they're really light on tackles, but they you know go and get another guard. I just think they said he's too good. We have to. We cannot. We cannot pass on this player. And I totally get it. You know, I was mocking him in round two, consistently mocking him in round two. I really, really liked him. And um, I think it's a great pick. And I don't think Seahawks fans should quibble about it. I think they should just enjoy the fact they've made a great pick there. You know, part of it, too, I look at the fact that Josh Jones was still on the board from Houston and ends up going in the division to the Arizona Cardinals. Do you think that comes back to bite Seattle in some way? No, I mean, there was two players that PFF really loved. And um, and that was Josh Jones and Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle at Missouri. And when I watched Josh Jones, I just, I just, there was just something about him. He's got the size and he's got the attitude, but there was just something missing and he wasn't explosive. Um, now, whether or not it's just that that's seen him get to round three or whether it's character or whether it's an injury or whatever, I didn't think he was as good as, PFF were suggesting, and I, and I think the media he, he became a mirage. He's like all of a sudden it was always he's amazing. He's this, he's that. You watch him at the Senior Bowl, people were focusing on the great plays that he had and not focusing on the plays we've got his ass kicked, of which there were as many as as he had wins. So I'm I'm not I'm no I'm not disappointed by that at all. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm not envious of the fact that they got him. Well, and I'm hearing what you're saying too, Rob, about the position of linebacker and the position of guard maybe not being the top needs going into this draft. But I, before you get on out of here, Rob, and I know it's super late there, so a quick question. If you pick linebacker, guard, and uh, an edge rusher, are there three other guys that you would go with in that combination that would have been on the board versus the three that they ended up with? Not the two picks today. I mean, I think yesterday I need to go and see Jordan Brooks. I need to, I've not had a chance to sit down and properly study him. So okay. I may well watch him and then say, actually, I, I get it now. I've, I've read things about him. And when I read, and you sent me a, a, a statistic about his run defense, and I read something else about the way he defends the perimeter. And, you know, I, I have thought this today, you know, as I've just sort of had a bit of time to consider this pick a bit more. I, I think what it, ends up being is that they were just and I've talked about it a lot and they've talked about it a lot and it's all everybody knows it they were terrible against the perimeter run last year right they were one of the top five teams in missed tackles so if this pick helps them 
address those two areas, then great. I think my only problem with it is is that in order to get him on the field this year to to have the benefit of the improved tackling and the uh, better perimeter run defenses, you have to continue to play in base defense, and that brings up its own problems because then you have to defend the tight ends in LA and in San Francisco who hammer you every time they play you and you leave yourself open because the defensive line's not good enough. So, you know, the the reason that San Francisco's linebackers play so well is because the D-line and Seattle doesn't have a D-line. I mean, like, I like the Taylor pick and I like the fact they've gone for it, but the D-line's still not good enough and they've got a lot of work to do there. I'm, I'm looking at the board now. I've got all the names listed um, who I think could be appealing still. And there's it's quite a long list, but it's it's starting to shrink. You know, there was quite a few players in that third round who left the board. They haven't got a defensive tackle yet. Now, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to sign a veteran probably quite quickly after the draft finishes within a week or two. Yeah. Whether it's a Snacks Harrison or a Meebane or somebody like that. Mike Daniels. A Mike Daniels. I just wonder the character fit with him. But... It, they're going to sign somebody, presumably, unless they get Lecky Foto at the end of this round or Benito Jones or Rashad Lawrence. They need a defensive tackle. They need somebody who can properly either create some pressure or or tie up that end to an Jaron Reed to create the pressure, but they also need to protect the linebackers better. Puna Ford's not going to do that. And they also need somebody who can rush off the edge. Now, thankfully, Jadavian Clowney and Everson Griffin have not signed for anybody else yet. They've got to get one of those done. They've got to get one of those two done. The whole defense just is better for their presence um, to have somebody who can really threaten and disrupt. Um, and preferably it's Clowney. But if it's Griffin, then then fine. And and I still think, you know, it, it, I cannot believe they're going to come out of this draft without a receiver. Now, they're going to really test the depth now at the end of round four of this great receiver class because right. there's not, not, not that many names left that really jump out at you. No one's fallen into... Like surprising range here. I, I, I almost feel like they've, they've got this far on best player available. They might as well continue. Do you want me to run through some of the more interesting names, Brandon, just to finish off? Yeah, let's let's close it off with the, the, the who you would like to see them take. Now, I, I just have to get it out there real quick that I am so pissed at the Las Vegas Raiders because they took my two receivers with back-to-back picks, taking Brian Edwards and Lynn Bowden. Oh, no, and And... I, I quite like I quite liked that for them, you know. Yeah, sure. Because because Edwards is a very natural West Coast offense receiver, and Bowden um, is a nice complement between you know you've got Rugs with the speed, Bowden the versatility, and then you know you've kind of got Edwards as your number three. So the players that are left, I mean, you know, Curtis Weaver and Bradley and I are still there. I, I think they're there because their their profiles. You know, Curtis Weaver is sporting a fantastic dad bod, and uh, Bradley and I is a four nine runner. So that's probably why they're still there. Uh, Khalid Kareem might be interesting at some point with his pass rush win percentage. Lucky Fotu, you know, if, they, if you want to take a chance on somebody who could come in and really be a beast in that interior, I'd, I'd like to see them go in that direction. But especially in round four, if he was still available. Rashad Lawrence is another one at LSU who could be interesting there. Benito Jones and Taya Tart are two other defensive tackles who could be of interest. Travis Gibson at some point is going to be a worthwhile project. He's kind of like the Obam Guachem of this draft. Bryce Hall is still there. He's a very interesting player. Yeah. How, why has he fallen this far? Is it in, all injury issues? He had a really, really bad leg injury uh, during the college season. And although there was a report that he'd been cleared, I, there's clearly some concern there from teams for him still to be here. But if he 
stuck around to the end of round four, I'd be all over that. Just, you know, it's a flyer. It's a flyer on a player who I think he's probably around two, round three before the injury. And if he ends up being around three, sorry, round four, round five because of the injury, then it, it's worth taking a shot on him. There's an awful lot of de- defensive backs actually still there. Kenny Robinson's a good safety. J.R. Reed's solid. Legereus Sneed could be a, um, a nickel. You've got Chris Miller, who's a big hitter. Antoine Brooks, a bit of an alpha male at, at safety, not the most athletic. Amik Robertson's still there. I'd love to see Amik Robertson uh, in Seattle just for his passion and his tenacity and the fact he absolutely hammers people at five foot eight. There are still some centers there. Tyler Biedas was 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 meant to fall into this kind of range because of injury issues, but Keith Ishmael's still there. Nick Harris is still there. Tony Pauline linked the Seahawks to Nick Harris. Uh, obviously, the fact they didn't have pick 101 maybe curtailed that, but he's somebody they could maybe look to add at some point if they are going to move on from Justin Britt. You've got some tight ends still that are interesting. Hunter Bryant's still there. I think in round four, he'd be an absolute steal if he lasted the end of round four. But you've got Albert O from Missouri. People wonder whether or not he's completely committed to football. You know, I think he's he's also got a med, he's got a medical career that he could go down. Charlie Tumapo is still there, who ran a really good three cone. Charlie Werner obviously had the great testing. Thaddeus Moss at running back. I tell you what, that was interesting, wasn't it, Brandon? You know, for all the the people who love to go on about running backs don't matter, how many went in the first three rounds? And to really good teams too. <laughs> and to the team, you know, the team, the one team who took a running back in the first round is the team that everybody loves to wax lyrical about how creative and imaginative they are and they go and take a running back in the first round and uh, that was Kansas City yeah. and then you've just seen one after another after another you've seen some real reaches at the running back position actually because teams have like scrambled to get their guy but they've flown off the board it's it, you know far more have gone off the board than I think anybody expected there so it's I just found that interesting I really like Anthony McFarland uh, he's still on the board. He's not the Seahawks type of running back, but I just love the playmaking ability there. There's a few others, James Robinson, Patrick Taylor, DJ Dallas, Rico Dowdle could be options. Sadiq Charles is an interesting one because he's very athletic left tackle at LSU, ran a 505, has had some drug problems. But, you know, again, if, if he lasts to the end of round four, they like developmental offensive linemen, don't they? Sure. And um, he could come in and be somebody that they might train to be a, an heir apparent to, to Dwayne Brown and, and actually has the athletic talent to maybe achieve that. Alex Taylor, Ben Barch, the Prince is still on the board. That's got to be an injury-related thing. Prince Tegawanogo is still there. Um, and there's a lot of good guards. Are, they, are you going to take another one? I mean, the, the John Simpson is <laughs> very explosive. Hakeem Adenji is very explosive. Logan Stenberg and Shane Lemuer real nasty blockers with a great edge. And then you've got Kevin Dotson and Ben Bredesen, who's got the short arms, Ben Bredesen, so probably not an option there, but still very tough. So a lot of good players. One running back you didn't mention, and I don't know if he's just because he's just under the height requirement that they tend to look for for running back, but Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State still out there. I really like Eno Benjamin, but he's not, you know, if, if I, I, I'd happily see them take him. I really like Eno Benjamin. It just doesn't really fit what they've gone for in terms of explosive traits and size. Yeah. And there's Warren as well at Cincinnati who could be a you know real late round flyer. Um, but you know they've got well they've got two fourth round picks and then a very early fifth round pick. So um, could they move up? Possibly, but they don't have a whole host of day three picks. So if they move up and and lose some of those guys, but then I, I think you know you're starting to get to the very end of the draft now. If that makes. You, did you see what I mean by that? You know, the, the options are running thin. If you have picks in rounds five, six, and seven, I don't think you're going to be that crazy about the options there. And you've not been able to run through the small schools and the lesser projects for the, you know, the pro days and the 
and the testing numbers and the potential and stuff like that this year. So it might actually be worth, say, picking twice in round four and once in round six and calling it a day rather than having four, 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 five at the end of, end of the uh, fourth round. Sure. Yeah, I could see it happen. I, I was asked uh, going on the radio leading up to this draft if the Seahawks were going to come in over or under 10 draft picks. And I said under this year, it'll happen. And now it's uh, it's looking like I might be right with that. Yeah, and I'd you know I'd quite like to see them if they want to go and move up and get a photo, for example, and just say right, we've got the defensive tackle. That's that sorted. If they want to go and do that, that's fine by me. Yeah. If they want to go up and get Hunter Bryant, fine by me. I'd I'd love to see. I know they've got a load of tight ends. I'd love to see Hunter Bryant as a nice compliment to the other ones that they've already got. If they want to move up and uh, get an Amit Robertson or a, a Nick Harris or a even a Joe Reed, you know, go and get Joe Reed and have a kick returner who you've even, I don't care, have him as the designated kick returner on the roster, you know, <laughs> to take that pressure off Tyler Lockett and have him on there. I just, you know, or even Bryce Hall. So, you know, I think there's some, some options to move up there still. Definitely a lot of options, Rob, and I'm sure we'll be breaking it all down tomorrow. It, maybe it won't be such a late night for you tomorrow night. I know this has been rough for you uh, being all the way in England. So I really appreciate you coming on after the entire draft is over and help us break down day two of the Seahawks picks. Yeah, and can I just say that all of my fellow British NFL fan friends, they'd all given up by 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I sent them a nice little message there. We we had a little mock draft sweepstake amongst us all, uh-huh. uh, which I actually won. Um, and as part of the winning, you know, the, the the haul as well as the money, you also get to pick a forfeit for the uh, person who finished last. He's a Dallas Cowboys fan, and I will be purchasing him a crisp new San Francisco 49ers T-shirt to wear as a forfeit. Uh, in a, in a video uh, for later this week. So uh, I'm sure he's going to enjoy that. I love it. I love it. Always compete, Rob. Always compete. Oh, yeah. And with that, I think there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.